Hello and welcome to the Life Beyond Limits podcast. I'm your host, Emma Gibbs-Ung. Each show I'll be using a combination of interviews with incredibly inspiring people from around the world who have achieved greatness, overcome adversity and never given up, as well as solo episodes from me sharing my own journey as a leading mindset trauma coach, helping to inspire, support and guide you to create a growth mindset so you can achieve success in all areas of your life. So are you ready to bring mindset to life and feel inspired? Let's go. Hello and welcome back to the Life Beyond Limits podcast. This week I'm joined with Darren Smith, who has had an up and down journey struggling with stress, depression and anxiety for over 10 years. His mental health struggles have led him walking away from great professional roles with high earnings twice, many friendships, both social and professional, relationships, both family and romantic, two breakdowns, one suicide attempt and a whole heap of self-doubt. Having worked across global investment banking for over 20 years, hospitality and sales training for seven, he's always been confident and comfortable speaking and presenting to people. But when mental illness takes over, self-doubt replaces that just as quickly. Darren's self-doubt takes hold of every element of his day-to-day life, assisting the negative thoughts that lead to feeling worthless, hopeless, and a failure. It's taken Darren over 10 years, a six-week spell in hospital, and many hours of therapy to understand how his brain and mental health work. It's only now that he's managing to get on top of the negative thoughts and self-doubt. It's still very much a work in progress, but one that's becoming a lot easier to manage. So welcome, Darren. It's lovely to have you on the show. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me. Um, And it's great to be on your show. Oh, my pleasure. pleasure. (laughs) When I saw your post, I met Darren through the powers of LinkedIn. And when I saw your post, it screamed to me. It was like, Mm. wow. Um, Having spent the last couple of months interviewing women about self-doubt it was a bit of a slap in the face to me as in like this isn't just women that go through this and I know women speak about it a lot more and I'm a woman and so on and so forth the the harsh reality is that self-doubt and mental illness affects all of us it you know it affects all genders and no one really is immune to it Um, and when I saw your post I knew straight away that I wanted to reach out to you and to make that connection and to see if I could get you to come on to the show because I think now more than ever it's so so important for men in in particular to feel that they are comfortable um, and in a position to be able to share their feelings because for a long time I think there's been a huge stigma for men around mental health um, and around talking about their emotions and um, all of that stuff that women are probably better at doing. Um, And I really want to to break down that stigma. Um, And so I'm honored that you are the first man that I'm interviewing in series three. And I know that your story is so incredibly inspiring and powerful. I know that you've got such a strong message and mission that you're now on to help to build um, awareness and support for men with the Andes Man Club um, and all of the amazing things that you're doing. So I can't wait to dive in today. It's going to be awesome. But what I would love to do before we jump into all of the amazing questions that I have to ask you is if you wouldn't mind just sort of sharing what life has been like for you for the last 10 years 
um, how uh, mental health and self-doubt has impacted you, but more importantly, how you've learned to navigate through it and to manage it. Because again, one of the strong messages that, that I work with, and I know that it's something that, that you are in strong agreement with, is that, that it's about management. It's not about trying to cure it or overcome it because then we start to set ourselves up for some sort of failure because the truth is it's always there. But when we can learn to manage it, in a way that doesn't impact on our confidence um, and doesn't hold us back and doesn't impact on our mental well-being in the way that it has, then we are, you know, starting to really kind of make inroads into managing this self-doubt mm. uh, that all of us go through. So without further Yeah, I, I think the, the, the last thing you've said there is, is it, it affects all of us. It does. I yeah. don't think there's anybody that doesn't suffer from from elements of self self-doubt and it's just a scowl of where where you are on that kind of self-doubt curve yeah. um i also want to mention you know we've met via linkedin and and there's a lot of negativity around social media i do think that social media does have an impact on people's well-being especially their mental health but the power of social media that i've found since kind of opening up and talking about my struggles mm. and LinkedIn funny enough was was the kind of last piece of social media that I was going to kind of be honest on because mm. it's my professional network right mm. Mm. so there's even a question around you know why did I leave LinkedIn till the last bit last kind of being honest which because there's still a stigma there right yeah it's, yeah. it's 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 definitely a lot better than it was say 10 years ago when i had my first breakdown um but through the power of, of of linkedin that post it's had over three million views yeah me talking you know showing yeah. at my weakest my, yeah. my weakest point you know there's an image of me at my worst point and and, and now yeah. and over three million people have seen that so that's fantastic in itself yeah and it's led to us talking and yeah. now we've led us here. So how have I dealt? Well, okay. So 10 years ago, I had my first breakdown. Um, never, never felt I'd struggled before. And it was a physical breakdown. I couldn't physically walk into the office 10 years ago. And naturally, I blamed work. Yeah. Um, I was doing very well. I'd, I'd, I'd just come back from, from working abroad for a number of years. That was one big change. I was living in a different place in the UK. I was living in Manchester. I had my son down in Essex. I was doing a lot of commuting. I was doing lots of hours, big promotion, big salary, all the trappings that come with it. Big expectations. Big expectations. <laughs> and I was also going through a very difficult divorce. So there was lots of things happening all at once. Yeah. And like I said, I, I blamed work. So I went, right, it's work. Because I had that breakdown and I couldn't physically walk into the office. So I blamed work. Benefit hindsight. It wasn't one particular thing. It was the combination of all of those life struggles or, or, or life events that we all go through. And I think if I was dealing with one of those at that time, I think I would have been all right. It was the fact that I was dealing with all of them yeah. at one time. And 
thinking about self-doubt after our conversation, we we talk about depression, stress, and anxiety. You know, mm. They're the kind of big ticket items. But from that moment of not being able to physically walk into the office, the self-doubt kicks in. Mm. It's there. Mm. Why can't I walk into that office? I've done that thousands of times before. I've got this promotion because I've been very good at what I've done. But now I'm no longer no good because mm. I can't walk into that office. And then basically over the last 10 years, I've, I've kind of worn a mask. Yeah. So when you're wearing a mask, you can't wear it forever. It gets heavy and, and eventually it, it breaks. So what I did over the 10 years was kind of, didn't really fix my mental health i kind of done done enough to kind of go off oh, a bit better now so that 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 would be all right and i had some therapy again hindsight and learning i realized that, that cbt was kind of not necessarily the right format for me from a therapy point of view and i could do just enough to kind of make me feel a little bit better and make sure that the therapist felt i was doing enough and I also talk about an onion, you know, with all those different layers on. And, and, and what I do was there'd be five layers that would go on top, but I'd only remove the first two. And go, well, okay, I feel a bit better now. But ultimately, all you're doing is putting these layers on and layers on, and eventually they fall apart. So over the 10 years, yeah, I've not really fixed my mental health. And, and it then gets to a point where... The self-doubt is, is, is there. You can't do the job that you, you want to do. You know, I, changed, I left my, my, my career in investment banking. I went into another career, did really well, went through the ranks, and then that self-doubt's still there. Um, and it is hard. It's hard because I now know that the, the, the easiest way to, to kind of deal with depression, anxiety, self-doubt is talking. And I didn't talk to anybody. Mm. I'm very close to my family and I never spoke to anyone in my family um, because I didn't want them to think I wasn't capable. Yeah. You know, with family, I think everybody, you know, your parents always want you to do the best that you can and you don't want to let them down. And, and ultimately... <laughs> Very rare that you let your parents down, right? Because they're your parents. You know, yeah. Same with me and my son, same with you and your son, right? But yeah. there's this, this, this thing that goes on in here. This is such a powerful tool we've got in our head. And the more you pull away and the more you keep everything inside, the harder it is. And ultimately, it leads to where I ended up at the end of 2020, in the darkest place possible, wanting to... Call an end to it. Yeah, yeah. You know, I want to. I want to dive into a little bit more, Darren. But I just think that yeah. there's a few things that you said at the start there that are really kind of um, standing out for me. And you know, I'm writing notes down about it all. And, <laughs> you know, it's about wearing that mask. And I think you, you mentioned that and the fact that it gets very heavy, um, and and you can't wear it forever. Um, and yet, I think you know, at some point. We're all guilty of only showing the world what we want them to see and hiding other parts of ourselves. 
And one of, one of the big things that I do when I work with my clients is to really help people to embrace their whole self and start to allow themselves to wholeheartedly trust and believe in their whole self and feel the confident enough to show people. Because I often think, you know, you said earlier, you've had 3 million responses or views on your posts. It shows that vulnerability opens up a whole other avenue. And I think, you know, all too often we try and be robots and try not to show emotions and maybe a bit, you know, slightly differently with men versus women, because I know men need to perhaps do that that little bit more. Um, Definitely. Yeah, but the reality is we put this mask on hoping that we can hide and trick people into thinking we've got Mm. our shit together. Um, And it's draining. It's draining as hell. I've done that for many years. Um, and you, it, it, it is a real heaviness that you carry with you that comes with guilt um, and uh, another whole host of emotions because you're not being your true self and you're not sure what, which part of you you're meant to be showing today and mm. which part's going to come through and all of that sort of stuff. And you mentioned about you know the layers that you had. Um, where you would pile on the layers and then strip back one or two, feel okay and carry on. And again, I see a number of people doing this and it's something I did for years where we just simply paper over the cracks and think, right, I've got that bit covered. That will do me for another couple of months. Um, rather, Rather than looking at the bigger picture because perhaps we're too scared to look at the bigger picture and think, right, if I go all in, then I can really help myself. We think, oh God, I don't want to go down that avenue. I'll just keep pretending I'm okay and just doing the bare minimum that I need to do to to kind of paper over the cracks and and Mm -hmm. move on. Um, What kind of patterns were coming through for you? Because you mentioned, obviously, you were in a very high-powered job. Your first physical breakdown was that you couldn't walk through the door, but you then went on to another high-powered role. Um, And clearly you are very capable and very able, but all the while you were having this internal battle um, which late, you know, eventually then led to you wanting to take your own life and attempting to mm-hmm. take your own life. Um, what patterns were starting to come through for you where you were just starting to lose that control and suddenly instead of papering over the cracks, it was then like a plaster and then it was like a tiny bit of fabric and yeah. all of a sudden you couldn't find, you know, the energy to paper over the cracks. So the first after the first breakdown and where I, you know, as I said at the time, blamed work, it was a case of, right, that's it. We're going to walk away from that industry. We're going to walk away from all the, the, the materialistic trappings and we're going to go and I opened a restaurant with my, with my best friend at the time and I earned minimum wage. Again, looking back, it's, it's crazy how my mind was working at the time, but in my mind, it was okay. I'm not capable of doing this investment banking role that I worked so hard to get to. Well, that's fallen by the wayside. So, you know what I'm going to do? Let's go all the way down to the bottom and start again. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of a bit like a, a cleansing, I guess turning around and saying, right, I'm walking away from that industry. Walking away, bang, everything. Any documents I had, any books I had, any qualifications I'd done, training manuals, all got burned. All got burned. And then you start doing this new, new industry and you go, wow, this is good. 
But me as a person, I can't just do mediocre. I can't just plod along. So you then get in, okay, well, I feel a bit better now because I've cleansed. Now I'm going to go two-footed into this new uh, passion, this new concept, and I'm going to go a thousand miles an hour at this one. But that can only last for so long Mm -hmm. because I hadn't fixed the issue at the beginning. I papered over the cracks. But because it was such a big jump, I felt I was doing the right thing. After a period of time, I then start to go, oh, I'm missing. What have I done? What have I done? And a lot of my struggles over the last seven years was looking back at leaving that high-powered job that I'd worked so hard to get to. It's interesting uh, what you're saying there. Um, when you obviously had your first physical breakdown um, and you cleansed yourself, but <laughs> what you did was you removed yourself from one physical like job into yep. another physical job with no mental cleansing. Um, and coming very much from the masculine energy of doing. Um, and, you know, this is a topic that I think is something that's really important to discuss because, you know, there is the masculine feminine energy, masculine being very doing, feminine being a lot softer and looking within. Mm-hmm. Um, and naturally, as men, even though both energies are in both of us, tend to very much, and actually a lot of of people tend to think if something isn't right or you've had a a breakdown or something's going on, I need to do something else. I need to do this now. I need to physically cleanse myself from this and try to do something else. Um, And did you at any point question yourself or take time to look within to find out what was driving the mental breakdown? No. no, no, not at all. Because I felt I'd walked away from the stressful environment yeah. of the, the, the work I was doing. Um, but that didn't stop my divorce. It didn't stop my rebuilding of my relationship with my son. Um, and ultimately, again, with hindsight, mental health, my mental illness is, is always here. Mm. unfortunately it's, it's picked me so I've, I've now got to manage that I wasn't managing that and the cracks start to show again and then you start to go oh maybe this is not the right thing you know I'm all constantly looking back I was constantly looking back at what I had what I had um and that started the cycle you know of, of, of ups and downs um yeah. Wanting to go, well, okay, well, well, I made the decision there to walk away from all that stuff. It was a case of, shit, I miss all that stuff. Mm. Well, hold on, that stuff made me ill. No, maybe it wasn't that stuff. What was it then? Mm. And then you kind of you look at the, the monetary side and you go, well, actually, look, you know, my, my wife is so supportive. You know, I, I, there was a you know was a big safety blanket there. My wife was still working in in, in in the finance world, but then you start to then oh, I started to then go yeah, but I'm a man. Mm. How can I be supported? Mm. I'm earning minimum wage. All right, there was a little bit here, a little bit there, but I should be earning money. I should have the career. What happened to my career? And you end up having these 
you know, the, the topic of having self-doubt, right? Mm-hmm. You start having self-doubt about your self-doubt. Yeah. And then I was like, what do you, but I made this decision because I was ill. Well, maybe I wasn't ill. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it was just a moment. Oh, that's all right. Come on in. And then I went into another, another industry. I went into automotive world, which I've been a big car fan since I was a child. And I went, right, let's get into the car industry. And I got into the car industry with electric vehicles, brand new. And it, it was fantastic. It played to all my strengths. Mm. Like I said, in, in, the, in the kind of opening bio, you know, I was able to talk to anybody about these electric cars. And then it starts again starts to eat away and then you go oh i don't really want to go to that session or i don't want to go to that event because i don't really want to talk to people Mm. that's when i started to realize it was still there Mm. because working in sales you have to go everywhere you have to talk to people you know and there was emails coming in and you oh i'll leave that email i'll wait for that and Ultimately, their email is coming in because there's people that want the cars or they want to do an event around electric vehicles. And I just started to feel like the inbox was just building up. Yeah. Because you start to, I start to say here, what if I mess that up? Oh, I won't read that email. What if I, you know, what if it's bad news? What if they don't want to have those cars or they've got the order and you know there's an order out there and maybe they want to cancel the order. But what if I can't answer that email? Mm. Jesus, you know, I've come again. This was some of my again my self-doubt. I come from such a high place. I come down and I was going back up again, but I was still nowhere near where I was. And this voice was just saying, No, you can't do it. Is there anything in particular that triggered that, Darren? I don't know. I really don't know. Um, like I said, I, I kind of, kind of knew I was good at it because there was plenty of people telling me I was good at it. And I had very quick kind of promotions, you know, very, very quick, which was great. And that kind of fancy ego, doesn't it? You know, people yeah. say, wow, you are doing fantastic. Right. We want you to do this. And we want you to go here. And we want to do that. And you go, yes, this is amazing. But was there anything that, no, I just, just, I think that, like I said, I think it's just like, it's dormant at times. Yeah. You know, it's still, you know, I talk about anxiety when I, when I, when I'm doing my, my stuff with Andy's Man Club, the anxiety kind of starts for me in my chest and you can feel it at the bottom of the chest and it starts to raise up the more anxiety, more anxious you get and then it gets to here and then that's it. Mm. So I think it's always there. It's how you manage it, right? So I think that self-doubt was always there, but I fueled it by kind of beating myself up, saying, look, I was up here and now I'm not. And then the stuff with, you know, being a father, you know, we mentioned on our talk, you know, no one gives you a manual about being a father. And I really struggled with that, really, really struggled. And and that hasn't helped my mental health because no one sets out to be a bad, bad father. But on the other side, no one gives you a book to be a good father. And we look at our our dads and our granddads and you kind of look at them and you think, wow, you know, they did this and did that and did this. And there's two things I then say when I say that sort of thing is, well, I don't know if any of them ever struggled because no one one talks about it. 
right? And both my granddads were, were able to retire at the age of kind of late 50s, early 60s. So it's completely different, mm. you know, completely different. So, yeah, that, that's, that's, you know, again, you beat yourself up. What, you know, why am I a bad father? Well, okay, so I've separated, you know, divorced from, from my son's mum. Does that make me a bad father? No. But I was, I was, I was absent. Yeah. And, and that, that's a different, you know, there's, there's different buckets where the self, self-doubt comes, you know. Being divorced, I was the first person in the family to, to be divorced. Um, you start then going, well, I'm rubbish as a husband. Yeah. You know? And, there was a whole you... load of evidence that was then oh. backing up what you were thinking um, that was being surrounded around you. And, it, it, you know, it's interesting because you're, you're constantly chasing, almost searching for, to get your, clawing your life back in some respects. Like you had the high power job, you left it, you were on minimum wage, then you went back up as evidence that you can do it. So you almost mm. got that reassurance that look, I can do it and I know that I'm good. But the reality is it doesn't matter how much external validation we get and we seek it a lot. But the reality is we can have it all there on a plate. You can be told left, right and center all day, every day, how amazing you are. But if you do yeah. not believe it in yourself, it's just not going to resonate with you. It's, it's just going to rebound off you. Yeah. Um, was it around that point that you started to recognize that this was a lot deeper than the physical side and was a lot more mental or did that come post the suicide attempt? Um, I started to realize, so I again walked away. So again, it got, got to a point and I, and I said, I can't do this anymore. Mm. I wasn't sleeping. My, my biggest Thing when I'm when I'm in the funk, I call it the funk. Yeah, I don't sleep, and that and that's one of the worst things because you're you're lethargic during the day because you don't want to open those emails, you don't want to take the phone calls, you hide away, and then your mind starts racing overnight mm. and going through and saying all the things, or you're thinking all the things. You go, I didn't open that email, I didn't didn't make that phone call, and you start beating yourself up even more. But it's of a night time. Mm. So the sleep deprivation was was terrible, and then that fuels the the kind of laziness at work. So I walked away again. Mm. I said, "Right, that's it. I'm walking away, and I'm, I'm going to take some time out." And that was that was kind of 2018, 19, and that was when I, I kind of felt down. Mm. And definitely felt a failure. Mm-hmm. And then I, I did a six months work again. Didn't really kind of get anywhere with it because I was I was ill. I was ill. Yeah. And then lockdown come along. And that initially was 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 kind of a bit of a, a release because I then knew that no one was at work. Mm. And it was all a bit of a, a bit of a fun period to begin with, right? Lockdown come along, we're going into spring and everyone's at home. So you're kind of drinking and there's these Zoom calls, you're all having parties on Zooms or mm. quizzes. And all of a sudden, I don't have to worry about working. Mm. 
but I'm hiding it with, with, with boots. Mm. And then the kind of first time they started to let people go back to work, I think that was in the, the June, July, mm. August, that was when I really, really hit rock bottom because people were going back to work. And at that point, I'd now been out of work properly for nearly two years. Right. And I wasn't talking to anybody. Um, Why? Because I didn't want to admit. I didn't want to admit to myself. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to admit to anybody that I was, I was, I didn't think, (sighs) Mm-hmm. I didn't want to ask for help because everybody was struggling. Right. Everybody was struggling. So I didn't want to, I don't know, didn't want to admit it, didn't want to be the person that was putting their hand up. Um, and that just went on and, and on and on. And I got deeper and deeper, darker and darker. And um, the dark thoughts just continued and continued. Um, and I was planning my, 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 my attempt even more. And, and, and you kind of, I suppose, you convince yourself that everyone would be better off without you. Yeah. And recently and after, and, you know, I'm in a lot better place. I'm, I'm surprised I'm getting upset, but... People say that, that people that think about suicide or people that, 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 that are successful with suicide are very selfish. Mm. I really disagree with that. Yeah. From my experience, because the only people I thought about was everybody else. Yeah. Um, not having to be associated with me as, as the failure that I thought I was. Yeah. Um, and that was everybody, everybody. Um, and that led to me, you know, trying to, I, I tried to hang myself. Wow. Um, I bought the rope. I spent so, yeah, I know it sounds mad, but I spent the best part of 30 minutes in a DIY shop deciding on what rope to buy. Wow. How, how, how crazy is that? Right, and there was different colours, different thick. I don't know. But I'd gone out on a Friday. I went out on the Friday and bought it, and I, and I didn't do it, and and I kind of just was numb the weekend, and and I just that's it. Monday, Monday, I've had enough. I'm going, and mm. I stormed out the house. I'd had an argument with Stacey, my my wife, and luckily she called the police, and they found me with with the with the rope around my neck, and. The rest is kind of history. I got sectioned, mm-hmm. um, which I didn't really understand. And, and it, was, it was mixed. It was like this huge dark cloud had been lifted by yeah. being told, right, you're being sectioned for your own health and your own safety. And then there was this all, all there was also this kind of massive dread of shit everyone's gonna know right so there was this whole relief 
it was completely it was just like a like a seesaw is the only way I can explain it yeah probably every 30 I don't know every 60 seconds 30 seconds oh wow you're gonna get me help and then it was just oh no and like oh I wasn't working but how's this going to impact me going back to work does you know I remember asking the people what happened? You've sectioned me. Did this appear on my 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 record? You know, does everyone gonna is everyone gonna know that I got sectioned? That's no good. Yeah. And yeah, um, I got taken to the local hospital. I was there for a number of hours under police guard and bless the police people, you know, policemen and police women. I was just happy to be kind of sitting there in silence, and they, I don't know, I I, I believe they get training, but they they didn't help they didn't help bless them you know they were trying to talk to me and reassure me and all i needed to do was just sit there in, in my own with my own thoughts you know mm. um which was what? Was, did you feel that you'd been saved did you feel that this was a second chance did you feel disappointed that you've been found <laughs> if you don't mind me asking no you know and again I think I was in the hospital for three hours before I got seen by psychiatrists. And yeah, there was, there was an overriding anger that I'd fouled again. You know, you fouled at this, you know, you couldn't even do that properly. But as I said, you know, very quickly, it was, I suppose the only way I can describe it, and I don't think I've actually spoke about this at this depth i think my emotions while i was sitting in that that room was just like a a revolving door Mm. of kind of relief that i was going to get help Mm. failure that i'd fouled Mm. relief that i'd been found and just kind of constantly you know and 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 the police the policeman and the police woman because they changed shifts trying to kind of console me and I just think you have no idea. Mm-hmm. You have absolutely no idea. You know, I just need to be kind of processed, you know, yeah. just get me there. And, and again, when the psychiatrist came and they said, right, look, just talk to us. And I, I just opened up and I told them everything. And they said, right, well, you know, it's either we're going to send you straight home uh, or we'll get you some help and we'll send you home or, or we're going to admit you. And I went, look, I know I need help, but please let me go home to Stacey. Let me get home and I'll go straight to hospital in the morning. And they went, that's not possible. Mm. I said, you just said that. They went, no, we didn't. So I was hearing what I wanted to hear, you know, and they said, no, 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 that's not an option. You've been sectioned. So that's the main thing. And they came back and said, listen, we're we're admitting you straight away. Mm. And then the first thought was shit mm. I'm being admitted to a mental hospital and it was kind of like again momentarily just a very sobering element mm. I was like whoa, 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 whoa we don't have to do that mm. you know I'm not mental mm. and again that's the thought and I say it now and I, and I kind of don't like saying it because mm. I've got, I've had a mental, I've got mental illness, you know. And at that point, all I wanted to do was go home. And I started regretting 
everything. I kind of, why did I say that to them? Mm. Why did I, why didn't I just put a front on? Why didn't I lie? I've been doing it for 10 years. Why didn't I put that mask back on? Because I'm now being admitted. And you know, again, you've got a journey from one hospital to another. So I went, I got taken to Harlow and again, you've got a journey, you know, in a van and or an ambulance and you're going through, oh, okay. Well, I remember sitting there going, well, that door, he's not, I could get out of here. Mm. I could get out. But then what would that achieve? What would that achieve? Deep down, you knew that you needed. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Your mask. How was, absolutely. I mean, obviously it must be very scary, very lonely to be sat there knowing that you're being sectioned and all of a sudden everything that you were running from is everything that you now want to have around you, i.e. your home and, and your loved ones yeah. and all of that. Um, what was a turning point for you that really helped you to kind of make a shift like no other that, that has allowed you to, to be where you are right now? Mm. I had to, so my kind of journey was, was, was kind of was an interesting journey. So I got, got admitted to a national health hospital, mm. which I was there for four days, which was an horrendous experience. Mm. But it also opened my eyes that mental health is such a big pot. If you break your leg, you get taken to a ward where they specialise in breaking broken legs. Mm. Right? And if you've broken a leg, there's two bones that you could have broken. Mm. And they know what those two bones are. They do the bits and pieces. You get in plaster. You go away for six weeks in plaster. You come back and do physiotherapy. Mm. Mental health covers so many mm. different elements. So I was admitted to this hospital and I didn't leave the room for two days. I, I didn't leave the room for four days. I ate two meals in four days. My choice. Mm. Obviously, I was, I was left in the room initially because of COVID. Mm. Um, but the room was, I would say, not much better than a police cell. Mm. Lots of noises, lots of shouting um, and people at different levels within mental health and it scared the living daylights out of me. And I was never going to get better in that environment. Mm. I was very lucky. I'm very lucky. It was very lucky that my wife had a private health insurance with her work and I got transported, transported, transferred. <laughs> um, it felt like transported yeah. to uh, a priory. Um, so in answer to your question, the first four days, and that was when that photo was taken. Yeah. My first night in that hospital, I was never going to get better in there. Mm. I just needed to get out. Mm. So I got admitted to the Priory, and the first week in the Priory, I was on this, this huge wave because I'd come out of a mm. national health, which was, look, you know, I've had some amazing support from the NHS, and I support them wholeheartedly, but for me at that moment in time, it was the wrong place. Mm. So I was on this crest of a wave for a week because I, you know, it was just, it was a normal room and there was normal people, normal. It was still, still, still mental health ward, you know? And then I crashed after the first week. I had this huge crash because of the, the, the emotional thing suddenly hit me. Mm. 
And that was it, right, okay, so I'm really, I'm two weeks in. And I'm just like, right, I've got to do something here. Right, I'm, I'm in this place, I'm here, I'm still sectioned. This is my opportunity to understand this mm. and also learn from other people because mm. you're you're in this this hospital with other people who have got similar or completely different symptoms mm. so it was after that first week and I, I had a crash and and I kind of locked myself away for a couple of days and, and and my therapist at the time said look this is this is you know this is what you do you you you're all or nothing crash or burn and you've had this this blip and you're shutting yourself away and it kind of resonated it resonated with me i'm all or nothing up or down you know as i've explained to you just on this yeah. on this call you know and i got to know a bit more about me i learned a bit more about me you know it a lot of it went very deep and, and i realized that from the age of 11 when i went to senior school I was all or nothing. Mm. Bang or bust. Yeah. Um, so I started to kind of take on what I was learning and, and, and listening to other people. And yeah, it was that really, you know, having that kind of crash and a realisation that look, I, I, if I'm going to get better, I'm going to get better here. Mm. Mm. And I did get better. I did but I wasn't fixed by any stretch of the imagination. And, and, and when I got discharged and coming home, the first two, three weeks at home were, were horrendous. What I strategies did you kind of pull on um, in those, those times yeah. to kind of help you? Because, you know, I think with any of this, like your, your story is, is so powerful and obviously you're showing real rawness. Um, and, you know, I can never understand from a, from a male point of view, the impact mm. of having mental illnesses and self-doubt because I'm not male, but you know, <laughs> the, the reality is I want to understand and I want to get an insight. But the truth is there's many men out there who are in similar positions to you that might not necessarily be in a position fortunate enough like you mm. to have got into the priory um but are seeking or crying out for help but just don't know how yeah. to to get it or what that looks like what strategies were you really pulling on that you found worked well for you that maybe other people can start to implement themselves during that process while mm. you're in the priory but also in that real transition of coming out and going back home into the big wide world because yeah. you know at the moment we're all transitioning back into the big wide world anyway from lockdown and I know that that is having a big impact on people but if you can just kind of give an insight into what that looks so, like so I would say the two two key things that I took away when I was in hospital was was the group therapy yeah which in essence is talking talking to others or talking yourself and others are listening yeah. and mindfulness. Um, the very first two sessions of mindfulness that I did when I was in the Priory, I, I thought it was an absolute crock of shit. Mm. I couldn't relate to it. <clears throat> I couldn't focus on it. I just thought this isn't, this is not for me. 
and and after that kind of little realization after my first week after my little crash there was a guy who's the only male therapist there uh harry and he had a, a great voice his voice was a bit like um morgan freeman Oh, okay. He would do the mindfulness and he would do it from memory. So mm. you, you, you focus on his voice and what he was saying. And, and, and I came out of his first session of doing the mindfulness and I felt physically high. Right. That's how good I felt from doing this mindfulness. So I went, right, I'm going to carry on doing that. And there's lots of apps, lots mm. of free ways of doing mindfulness. And I don't do it as much now, but when I came out of hospital, I was doing it on a daily basis to be able to kind of reset and, and relax. But the biggest takeaway is the talking, is the group therapy. I've never done any form of group therapy. Like I said, I, I had lots of therapy, but I was able to talk my way around it. Um, and what I then did was I looked for, for groups locally. And there wasn't any. There wasn't any, anything, so I had some good support from, from my therapist. I had some really good support from the NHS uh, and a fantastic employment specialist who I still talk to today, um, Jameer. Absolutely fantastic. Um, but there was no groups. There was nothing that I could attend. Mixed men, there was nothing. There was lots of stuff. I found lots of stuff for older men, and that was basically around... Um, struggling with grief so where they'd lost their, their partners mm. and they were kind of based around, they're called man sheds or men sheds and I now say I, I do have a grey head of hair but I'm not ready for woodwork or metalwork <laughs> just yet you know and they did some great stuff, I'm not knocking that but I just wanted to find something to talk about what I'd gone through because I found that the group sessions in, in hospital there was, a, there was empathy Mm. And that's the biggest thing, empathy. Anyone can feel sympathy for you. But I, I honestly believe, unless you've been through what I've been through, what we've been through, mm. you can't have that empathy. No. And I use Twitter as my kind of social media, my fun element. And I found Andy's Man Club mm. online. Mm. And they were only online because of lockdown. Right. So if they hadn't, you know, if the lockdown hadn't happened, they wouldn't have been online. And that, so I found them in January. So I came out of hospital in, in December. I found them in January and I went online and it was like a breath of fresh air. And I'm going goosey as I'm mm -hmm. talking about it. And after two, two groups, so they meet on a Monday, every Monday night, except bank holidays, I went to two online groups and I went, this is amazing. Mm. This is so simple, so basic. And there was 14, 15 guys on a Zoom call answering these questions about how they were feeling and what they were going through. And there was empathy. I was slightly different because I'd gone through my, my kind of dark days and, and, and people were kind of going, wow, Darren, I, I felt, I feel like this. And he's going, well, well let's, let's talk a bit more. You know, you don't want to keep going in that way. And there was guys that were suffering with lockdown. There was guys that were suffering with, with, with a marriage or, or work. But the nearest group at the time was a four hour, four hour round trip. 
Mm. So they're face, they were face-to-face groups. So I then said, right, I need to open up a group. I need to open up a group in Essex. Mm. Um, and I carried on doing the, the, the online groups. I started to do be a facilitator. So I facilitated the groups on online. And I've been fortunate that that has helped me. Mm. So when I found it and realized I wanted to get involved more, my therapist was, whoa, hold on, you're taking on far too much. You've got to fix yourself. You know, you're still fixing yourself. And I said, listen, each time I talk about what I've gone through, a bit of me is getting better. Yeah. It's not a huge piece. It's just a, a small piece. And I've been lucky on the back of opening up the group in South End. I've been able to do radio shows, TV shows and, and news articles and stuff like this. And I absolutely 100 percent believe a little part of me gets better every time I talk about my story. Because I know other people are hearing that I've come through it. Totally, totally. And it's the talking. It's so basic. You know, just me talking to you about it mm. is basic. But you know on a the- Monday night, go on, sorry. So I was just going to say, the power of feeling less alone and understood oh. is phenomenal. Like, it is yeah. life-changing, game-changing, every kind of changing, you name it, 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 it is. <laughs> and, and I totally relate with what you're saying with every time you speak about your story there's a part of you that heals. I feel like yes. series I've healed in ways I didn't think I needed to heal. Mm. Um, but, but having um, someone understand how you're feeling um, is so transformational that suddenly you just, a weight lifts. And I think men in particular need this more than ever. And I think Andy's Fan yep. Club is phenomenal. And I think more and more men will start to join it. But I think, there is so much power in what you're saying in the way that to talk brings people together. And I just think just, just knowing that every Monday you meet with people that can say the words, I understand. Oof, it is powerful because yeah. very few people can do that. And we, and we hold back thinking, I can't say anything because they won't understand or, you know, I don't want them to think differently of me or judge me or, you know, all of the other stuff that, that we put on top of ourselves to convince ourselves not to talk. But when you have like, you know, with Andy's Man Club, whether online or where you're setting up now is just amazing. And it is amazing. Yeah. Um, I think outside of Andy's Man Club, guys, blokes we we meet up socially friday nights saturday nights or football or whatever whatever form of social kind of meetups that you do and we all say hey doing you all right nine out of ten times you go yeah i'm all right mm. and you carry on you'll go to the football or you'll go out to the pub or you go whatever it is you just carry on and I also say, if you turn up and you go out and you go, oh, I'm feeling a bit rough or I'm struggling a little bit, more often than not, it's, well, you'll be all right. You know, have a pint. Yeah. Or let's just carry on. Let's go to the football. Let's go and play football. You'll be all right. Run it off. Mm. And I think that, as men, that is the issue. 
And it's twofold. If you're struggling, you don't know how to put it into words because you don't know. As a man, we don't know what that anxiety is. You just think it's a tight chest or you just feel, you know, you don't know it's anxiety. Mm. But also on the other hand, on the other side, you don't know how to respond because mm. we don't know, right? I, you, know, you, you mentioned earlier about you know, men and women. Yeah, we are different, <laughs> definitely different. And I think women have more of a, like, the nurturing element and therefore they are able to, when two girls are talking, oh, I'm struggling a little bit. You know how to answer that. Mm. Blokes don't. We don't know. What do you say? Tell me about it. Yeah. You know, well, I don't want to know about it because we're, you know, we're meant to be out. We're meant to be playing football. Yeah. And that's what Andy's Man Club offers. Guys come in and share. Mm. And we're, we're only there, realistically, I'm only there to facilitate five questions. We don't really help. We're not qualified. The only qualification we've got is that we've been through our own storms. Mm. And guys come along. You know, I, the example I'll give, we've had a guy, he, he came three weeks. So that's six hours. And on week four, it's question three of our five questions. Is there anything you wouldn't get off your chest? And he shared with 18 guys and a horrendous experience he'd gone through 25 years ago. Mm. He'd never shared that with anybody. Mm. He'd kept that inside for 25 years. And he had the support of 18 guys mm. of all different backgrounds he felt safe enough to share that. Mm. There wasn't a dry eye mm. in that room. And you could physically see this guy getting taller. Yeah. He was sharing that experience. He'd kept locked away for 25 years. Yeah. I mean, it just, it just shows, you know, men and women are different, but we're not really. You know, we all want to be loved. <laughs> we all want to be understood. We all want to be respected, you know, recognised, all of that sort of stuff. But somewhere along the lines, men have been taught to not talk. Women, some women have been taught not to talk. Some people aren't comfortable with talking. But the reality yeah. is, I suppose, there's a bit more opportunity, like, say, that nurturing element um, for women to talk. But the reality is we all carry around shit. Mm -hmm. it, it impacts us. Men mentally and physically you know if you're carrying that kind of stuff around it's going to come out in some physical form at some point you know at the end of the day regardless of this whether you think oh I'm, I'm a man I can't say anything yes you can like we are really no different um yeah. and you know you're proof of that that the moment that you talked you got the help that that you needed but not necessarily wanted at the time but deep down did want because I think you know, you were crying for help at that point yeah. in that moment. Um, and then, you know, the resistance of this is a load of bullshit. It's not working to connecting to, to someone or something that really resonates. And that's mm. the thing. It's like not everyone's going to resonate with each other. Um, and not every technique in the world is going to work for you. But that doesn't mean that it's bullshit and doesn't work. It just means you've not found the right one for you or the right person. Absolutely. And I think... I now have what I call is my mental health toolbox, oh. which is multiple kind of managing and coping mechanisms, you know, 
from my my professional therapist yeah to andy's man club to having things that i can pull on you know breathing exercises mindfulness taking the dog for a walk you know doing some coloring in you know yeah. just these little things that i know that i can switch off from that and do do yeah. do, do something else you know going to football with my son um all these things that sometimes you take for granted mm. they're all part of my my toolkit now that i i take with me you know and also talking to people mm. i now have the confidence to be able to say to someone are you struggling mm. without saying how are you and having those kind of couple of other questions to kind of dilly dally I've now got the confidence to say to someone, are you struggling? Mm. And that opens up the conversation, you know? Um, so it isn't one size fits all. You're absolutely right. You know, similarly, when, when guys are saying they're having therapy and, and, and at the minute the therapy's over the phone, it's going to be hard. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's hard. Um, mm. And you're not always going to get on with, with the first therapist that you're given, you know? But the one thing I was going to say is, is, is the emotional side of it. As mm. a man, mm. we're not meant to be criers or huggers. Again, my family are very, very close. We've always hugged each other. Mm. And the men always kiss each other, whether it's a mm. welcome or a goodbye. We've mm. always done that. The Smith part of the family are huge. Yeah. But generally, men don't hug. Men yeah. don't cry. Mm. And nearly every time someone's had a cry at an Andy's Man Club session, the first thing they say, and I know I've done it myself, I'm sorry. Yeah. Right? I'm, I'm really sorry. And I said it. I remember I said it. I'm really sorry, guys. I've got upset. Why? Yeah. Why should we apologize for crying? Yeah. I also link the crying to, to my onion analogy. Because yeah. that, for me, if you want to cry, that's that's onion getting too big and too heavy. Mm. And we know onions will make you cry. Mm. It's good to have a cry. And again, I think, ladies, women, you've kind of got that understanding mm. that you are able to have a cry. And when you cry, there's an emotional element to that, right? You're letting something out, mm. you know? So... Again, that's what Andy's Man Club allows guys to do, to come along and no matter whether they're having a good week or a bad week, they can share on question three about something that's bothering them from that week or yeah. from their past. And it allows them to have a cry or just have other guys listen to them, you know. And, 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 and as I said, the empathy. There's, there's so much empathy in a room. Mm. Um, as opposed to 20 guys and loads of testosterone in a room, right? You know, and, and, and outside of the Monday nights, these guys are forming friendships. They're going to booze-free nights. We've got some guys who are struggling with, with, with addiction and, and they're going to, to alcohol-free comedy nights, supporting each other. We've got another guy that's been setting up board game nights. He's this huge kind of... Uh, he's got thousands of ball games. So he run these events and guys are going to these events outside of Monday. So without Andy's Man Club, that wouldn't be happening. Yeah. And that's also therapy for them because they've got 
other people to go out with you know they're, they're not it's not a stereotypical we're going down the pub it's we're going to these events you know um and it's growing so a quick plug for andy's man club um they started at 28 groups at the start of lockdown uh, we're now at 68 69 groups across the yeah. country um i've secured a second venue for essex um, which is in Chelmsford so I open that at the end of November and I know by the end of November there'll be 72 groups across the country um, last Monday I think it was nearly 1200 men attended the groups across the country Wow! Um, and we're going strength to strength it, it shows it's needed yep. and, and, and anyone can get involved andysmanclub.co.uk is the website or if you want to send an email it's info at andysmanclub.co.uk uh, .co.uk if you need to use us as, as a, a part of your toolbox then mm. please find a group um, or if you want to get involved as a facilitator and open your own group you can as well so that's that's the plug for Andy's Man Club and it's definitely something that's helped me get to where I am now and, and you can see that you know I think it's amazing that there's clubs like this opening up and like you said it shows that it's so well needed and it shows that people are now or men are now starting to recognize the importance of talking um mm. and to, to kind of come together which that in itself is progress and fucking awesome to be perfectly honest <laughs> it really Excellent. is because you know i mean i'm fortunate my husband's quite a sensitive soul and he is quite a talker but even still there's still that protection that i think we all put up, really, not just yeah. women do as well. We put up that protection because we don't want to be judged or let people down. <laughs> um, I know I'm a nightmare for it, but I think there's, you know, it's amazing that these types of clubs are opening up um, because they save lives and yes. they've transformed your life. And I know that from what you've said to me, they're transforming lives every single day. Darren, yeah. I would just like to end our um, chat with whether there's something that you feel that perhaps you needed to hear way back when, when you were in the midst of all of this, that would have made a difference for you, or whether there's something intuitively that you feel you want to share um, as a closing piece for, for this episode. I think, like I said, I think that the kind of penny dropped after I had that kind of lull at the, at the Priory and realised that I needed to own the illness. But the, the biggest takeaway is being able to talk mm. to people about it mm. because more people are suffering it with mental illness than anybody knows. And I know it's just very basic, but it is talking to people about it. You know, open up to someone and say that you're struggling. Um, as a man, you know, open up to a mate, open up to your dad. Um, you know, the conversations me and my son are now having because he knows what I've gone through because I've told him what I've gone through mm, mm. and the conversations we're now having over a pizza <laughs> that we were never having before right yeah. and that's helping me but it's also helping him yeah. so the ripple effect. you know I do yeah and I do get asked you know what's your top tip and, and I, I, I there's always two it's talk mm. just talk to people mm. talk to your partner and 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 so many of the guys turn up at Andy's Man Club because their wife or their partner have found out about us. Yeah. They've seen an article or they've seen the website or they've seen a flyer. And a lot of wives are supporting their, their husband or their partners 
And then again, we kind of don't open up as much as we should. Mm. Maybe we should do that a bit more. And okay, they're not going to understand everything, but just by airing it and talking, it makes you feel better. Yeah. And then the second thing I always recommend is the mindfulness because it's so easily accessible and it's not an hour or 30. You can do five minutes. Mm. You can listen to someone for five minutes and it just helps. And you kind of work your way up and before you know it, you're doing 10, 15 minutes of mindfulness and you kind of wake up and go, wow, where did that 15 minutes go? Yeah. And it's amazing how just by doing 15 minutes of, 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 of relaxing, how, how you feel after that. Mm. You know, it, doesn't, it doesn't change the world. It's not going to make you feel a thousand times better. But it changes the world and your world then changes other people's worlds. And that's the thing is, you know, we're not going to change the world. But if we change one person's perspective or view on something, that changes their world, which then changes. Very true. And so very true. Yeah. So very, very true. Don't underestimate the power of the ripple, Darren. (laughs) (laughs) And on that note. Yeah. What a great note to finish on. What a great note. But it's been amazing. Um, and I really, really um, appreciate you taking the time to join me um, and to trust in me enough to, to show that rawness, um, which as hard as it is for you, is amazing for me to see, because I think, mm. you know, we learn a lot in people's rawness. And I think True. in rawness comes tremendous power and strength. Mm. Um and I think, you know, you're you're doing great things for amazing people. And as you said, everything that you do for others helps to heal you. And Definitely. you can see that that's happening. You know, we're, we are all works in progress. No one is fixed, but you're certainly managing it in a way that's truly inspiring. So thank you so much for, for joining thank me. Thank you today. so much. Thank you. And Thanks for I, having me. Oh, my pleasure. And if anyone has been listening who knows of someone or who is that someone, that could do with getting support to talking to other people, to reaching out, then I know that Andy's door is open. I know my door is open. Um, mm. You know, we are here and if we can't help them, we can point you into directions of people that can. Please don't Absolutely. ever feel that you have to do this on your own. Um, and please don't ever think that talking or opening up is a sign of weakness. It's actually a tremendous sign of strength and it says yeah. so much about you. And so, please reach out um, to, to any of us or to someone that you know that, that could potentially yeah. help you. Um, so where can people stay connected to you other than in Mandy, Andy's Man Club? So uh, I'm on LinkedIn, Darren Smith. I have an email address at Andy's Man Club. So that's darren.smith at andysmanclub.co.uk. So you can reach me there. Um, I'm on Facebook through, through the uh, Andy's Man Club Southend or just email info at andysmanclub.co.uk and they will pass on any correspondence directly to me. But yeah, look, you found me on, on LinkedIn and I think that's, that, again, it's a very powerful message that it's a professional network. Um, the, 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 the personal messages are always open on LinkedIn and I'll happily reply to, to messages there. I've managed to reply back to nearly 2,000 messages on my post, which took a long time. <laughs> But yeah, therapeutic in itself, I expect. So again, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah. Awesome. Well, it's been amazing, and I'll add all of that to the show notes. So thank you so much thank once you. again, and thank you everybody for listening today. 
and look forward to seeing you all next week. So bye for now. That's all for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you've enjoyed this show, please head over to iTunes, subscribe and leave a review. Bye for now.